You know that, that program, amen? Last week we used Mr. Clean. It was about 1958, I believe. And that was about 1954, 6, somewhere in there. Father knows best. And you know, we, there was a period of time, uh, particularly in the 50s, when, you know, the father just had all this respect and dad seemed to know best. Now, there were times when fathers made decisions we didn't like and like we rebelled and pushed back from that. Uh, but generally speaking, we as children always came back around knowing that father knows best. And I suppose during that time when we pushed back, there was times it seemed like a gulf, a Grand Canyon separated us from our physical fathers. And, you know, that's what I want to talk about today. I, Linda was kind of a last minute substitute for the special music. I think she found it like Thursday or Friday. And uh, what a perfect song. I mean, sometimes I feel so close to God that I feel like I'm, I'm a shadow. And then, then sometimes something happens and, and sometimes we know what it is and sometimes we don't. It feels like that we're at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. He seems so far away and the distance, the, the gulf is there. And sometimes that happens um, because of sin in our lives. Sometimes it happens because, you know, God is holy and sometimes we're not very and even though we know him as father, there's a gap there and there's a broken fellowship. Kind of like when I, again, like my dad said no about something and I wanted to say yes. And, and so I kind of like distanced myself. I pulled back. I remember one time when I was a kid, I wanted something. I don't know what it was. Now, remember, I was raised in Jacksonville, Florida. It's hot in Florida. So one day I wanted something. I don't know what it was. Dad, can I have it? Dad, can I have it? Dad, can I have it? No, 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 no. So we pulled up to the store, and my little probably 10-year-old arrogance said, Well, I'll just sit in the car then. He said, Go right ahead. It was summer. And I sweated and sweated and sweated and finally surrendered, dude. I finally went in the store and swallowed my pride. And you know what? Dad knows best. So sometimes there's that gap. And we push back. From God. And sometimes, in the difficult times of life, it's when we come back to Dad. You know, February 29th, and this, this will not be a recurring theme every week, but it's still so fresh to us. February 29th calls so many people to begin a journey back into fellowship and sometimes relationship with God. So once again, they could feel like comfortable calling God Father and, or like the book of Romans says, even Abba, which is daddy, daddy. And so the one good thing about storms sometimes is that it causes us to come home. I don't suppose you've had a, a weird week, have you? Like when your grandson finds out he's allergic to amoxicillin and swells up like a balloon and scares you to death, wondering if his windpipe's going to close off and taken by ambulance to Deacon's Gateway Hospital, where the doctor says, I'm going to give you a massive dose of steroids to see if we can turn it around. And he's still in the process of turning it around. Or, or maybe perhaps like you get an email about a two-year-old little baby girl who falls into a pond and they discover her and she's still in the hospital recuperating from that with a respirator down her throat. Or someone falls in our foyer and we pray that Miss Wilma's okay and we think she is, but how quick and how sudden Things can change. But as I was driving to church, I saw my clock. And y'all say, I wish you'd see it about 1120. <laughs> I like it because one, it's, it's amazing how many times a week, and maybe you've had this experience, you look at the clock and it's 828. 
It only occurs twice a day, but it sure seems like a lot of times I hit 828. And I said, there you go, God. I, I told I God, God, there you go. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And February 29th and Ethan's reaction and Miss Wilma falling and this little baby girl, nowhere is that good. But God can bring good out of the most hard circumstances. And often what he brings is we turn to him and say, Daddy, and we come back home. So that's one thing I've heard over and over again from people. I want to come back to God or I want to meet God for the first time. So how does it happen? That we kind of wander away from God. I told you about my dad. He said no, and I wanted a yes, and that made me mad. But how is it we sometimes wake up one day and realize that we're not very close to God anymore? Let me tell you what I know. I know that doesn't happen, generally speaking, in a one-time event. It usually doesn't happen that you wake up one day and say, I'm done with you, God. I'm going to do my deal. I'm going to do my thing. What I found out is, is that we normally behave ourselves away from God. Slowly over a process of time, something changes in our life and we start a behavior change that slowly moves us away from the Father. And we find out one day that God's not in our peripheral vision. He was one day in our primary. He's not even our peripheral side vision. He's not in our rear view mirror that somehow we decided that we can do God, do life without God. Now, in your bulletins, a sermon sheet, I don't usually make a big deal of that, but there's a whole bunch of cool scriptures on there that we're going to be referencing this morning, so you might want to grab that. But here's, here's what's on top of the page, and I heard this in a devotional one day, and it really grabbed my attention. Here's what it says in Proverbs 11.2. This is what it says. When pride comes, disgrace follows. When pride comes, when, when we reach a point that we say, hey, God, I can do life without you, Okay, disgrace follows. And may I, without bending the word of God, say when pride comes, disaster follows. That when when we exclude God, when we say, okay, God, I can do life without you. It's just not long before junk comes. Not he's throwing it your way. It's just that without God in your life, with the wisdom and, and all that he offers, we make some pretty bad choices and sometimes end up with disasters. But the rest of that verse says this. But with humility comes wisdom. In other words, when we humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. And let me tell you something. If I were to ask you to raise your hand if you're in the storm today and somewhere in your thought process, the thought, God, help, came through your mind on that on that Wednesday morning, February 29th, a lot of hands would go up. Um, I remember I was talking to Opal Simpson yesterday and she said, Dwayne, I got up at three o'clock in the morning. and I guess it was thunder and lightning. I was sleeping pretty good at that time. And she said, I was just scared. I said, God, please give me your peace. And she said, Dwayne, I was just able to go back to sleep. And she said, when I woke up and the storm, I, I went to the closet. And Dwayne, I can honestly say, I know a lot of people said they were afraid. I wasn't afraid. It was like God had given me his peace. So when we humble ourselves and we cry out to God, it's so cool. He's there. Can I have an Amen. He's there. When we need God, He's there. It's not like He's going, uh-uh, you ain't gone to church in six months. I ain't going to be there for you. Or, you call on me? Dude, you ain't put a dollar in our plate so long. When, last time you put a dollar in our plate, it was Confederate. Come on. I'm telling you what. When we, we have a God today, that when we cry out, hey, help, He says, here I am. 
Come on now. Here I am. We serve a here I am God. I'm telling you that. I'm glad God keeps score up in heaven saying, okay, well, you did this and did this. I'll be there for you. He's a be there for you God. But it's just cooler when you don't have to holler long distance. When the tragedy comes or when the circumstance comes. It's really cool if you're there and God's there. You don't have to holler at Him. It seems like it is at the bottom of the Grand Canyon looking up. Him so far away and so small. So we want to look at today how it happens that we drift away. And then five things, and they're, they're quick five things. I'm going to keep this baby moving. Five things really that we can do that will keep us close to God. Okay. Now, there are many stories, and if you've already seen your sermon sheet, you see we got got uh, 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, and there are like plenty of stories I could have used. I could have gone and got Cain and Abel, and how you know, Cain whooped up on Abel and killed him, and, and how that, you know, the distance that caused between him and God. Um, I could have gone to Abraham when he said you know, to his wife, now you tell these folks that you're my sister, not my wife. You know, kind of like, you know, like putting her down and, and lying about things. We could have gone to Moses, where Moses struck the rock, and because he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. He wasn't allowed to go in the promised land. We could go to Peter. You know, good old Peter. You'll recognize Peter because he's the guy with the foot-shaped mouth in heaven. Okay? When you get there. Okay. We could go to Peter where he goes, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And 20 minutes later, he's going, Jesus who? I don't know Jesus. We could have gone all over the places. I didn't choose the story of David and Bathsheba because it's about sex. Okay? This is not a sermon on sexual sin. But as you're going to hear in just a moment... It really lays a track down some things about how David ended up where he was. Now, David's famous for a lot of things. He's, he's the guy, the kid, who killed Goliath. Okay? He, of course, was the king of Israel. I mean, really, he, you know, he funded the building of the greatest temple the world has ever seen. He's famous for a lot of things, but unfortunately, he's also famous for what happens in this story. So what we want to do is look at real quickly the story and see what happens and how it compares to how one day we can wake up and go, where's God? How did I get here? Well, we see it happening. Now, in case I forget to say it later on, one of the things that David is famous for is the Bible said, now David didn't say this, but the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Woo! I wouldn't mind somebody, you know, the Bible saying, and Dwayne was a man after God's own heart. How incredible is that? So how does a man... That's after God's heart, end up here. We're fixing to see. Second Samuel 11, 1 through 5. Now, it happened. Now, say it happened. Okay, just write that down, underline in your Bible, it happened, okay? Because sin happens, okay? It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent. Say David sent. The spring of the year, and David sent Joab, his commander, and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Raboth. Okay? So, now again, I don't want to read too much of the Scripture, but given the details that we have, I think the Holy Spirit's really trying to say is that this happened in a time of David's life, a time when David should have been somewhere besides where he was. The king would often send the commander out, but the king would follow and celebrate. Already the victory's been won, and yet we learn in the next verse that David is not on the battlefield leading his troops. David's not even in the, in the celebration of the victory there. David is back in Jerusalem. Okay, let's read it again. 
It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Raboth. But David remained at Jerusalem. He put himself in a place where he should not have been. Okay, how does a man after God's own heart get in trouble? He goes places where he should not go. He doesn't do what he should do. Something happened. A process has begun in David's life where he starts doing things that he did not ordinarily do. On the big picture, no matter what it is in life, when you find yourself making major life changes that don't make any sense in your life, put a red flag up. If you find yourself spending money you don't have and you've always been fiscally conservative, that's a red flag. If you find yourself looking at things you didn't normally look at, that's a red flag. If you find yourself normally, excuse me, I am a pastor. If you find yourself normally going to church and then all of a sudden one weekend you go, not today. That's a red flag. So when things change in your life that you've done and seem normal and you find yourself doing things that are not normal, that is a red flag. It happened in David's life. So then the Bible says, and I chose the New King James for this very reason. It starts out saying it happened. And then like a stair step, like a domino effect, the Bible says, then it happened. So you say, then it happened. Come on now, stay with me. Then it happened. Okay, so we got it happened. And then we have step two, which is then it happens. Here's what happened. Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed. Now, let me just, you know what? Can I just be candid? Every indication is David was bored out of his brain. He was supposed to be doing what kings do. He's supposed to be out leading his men. He's out there doing the, the, the as Matt Winkleman says, woof, woof, the man thing. And he's not. He's back home. And he's bored. So he's laying down going, trying to go to sleep. Really can't go to sleep, you know. Gee, what are we going to do? And he gets up. Okay? So he starts wandering around. And David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. Okay? The Bible then says, and from the roof... He saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now, I, I really thought about this, you know, because I've heard, oh, I, man, I've heard more sermons on this than you can shake a finger at. You know, Bathsheba shouldn't have been bathing on the roof. Well, in that culture, it really wasn't very unusual. And like they say in Africa, you know, you see a lot of things, you see a lot of nakedness in Africa. You know, women sometimes will breastfeed in public and things like that. And the shame is on the looker. Okay, the shame is on David for looking. It's not Bathsheba's fault. She was doing something that was culturally acceptable. Okay, but David just took advantage of a situation. He sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. And frankly, he probably said, it's my lucky day. All right, man, I don't suppose you've ever thought that. Come on now. Let's just be candid. All right. So what happens? David sent and inquired about the woman and said, and someone said, oh, this is Bathsheba's, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. OK, now, at this point, this is off limits. It should be off limits anyway, but this is off limits. He finds out that Bathsheba is married and rather the man after God's own heart, who should have been on the battlefield leading his men, who was bored out of his brain, who was doing something they wouldn't ordinarily do, who wanders up on the roof, who sees a woman bathing, who inquires and finds out who it is, rather than saying, time out, stop, says, let's go. And that often happens. The further we drift away from God, the more likely we are to hit the gas at the yellow light. Y'all got what I'm talking about? When that light turns yellow, you got two choices, honey. 
There's a brake pedal and a gas pedal. And depending on what kind of driver you are, determines on what you're going to do. I won't confess. But my first inclination is, let's go. Light, the yellow light don't mean hit the brake. It means you better go just a little bit faster. Well, David decides to go just a little bit faster. Because the Bible says, David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and lay with her. And she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. So they have an affair. Okay? Then the Bible says, the woman, verse 5, the woman conceived, so she said to David and said, I am a child. And don't have time and not point the message, but the bottom line is, now we have a big mess. The man after God's own heart, who wasn't where he should have been, was bored out of his brain, goes up on the roof, sees a woman bathing, inquires who it is, finds out somebody's wife. He says, who cares? We're going to mash the gas. Okay? And now we have a child on the way. Now, now the point is this. That's a process. That's all I want you to take home today. This is not a sermon about sexual sin. But do you see there was a process of how a man after God's own heart walked away from God? And I'm trying to tell you is that it can happen to anybody. If it can happen to, to um, David, a man after God's own heart, most, one of the most famous characters in the Old Testament, it can happen. And some of you have stories. And you'll say, there was a time in my life when I walked away from God. I'm back now. It may have been because of a storm or it may have been this or that. But the bottom line is, one day you will come and say, holy mackerel, how did I get here? And you come back home. So that's the story. That's the process of how it happens. Okay? Now, here's the cool part. When you, when you finally wake up and say, hey, God, I need help. Again, he's there. Okay? And we find that, again, on the sermon sheet is 2 Samuel 12, 13 and 14. Now, in your Bibles, you can look for it there. Again, long story process. Bottom line is, God holds David accountable. Okay? For a cool story. You can read it when you get home today after church. But here's what happens. So David said to the preacher, said to the prophet, said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Okay? So in the process of this returning home thing, David has to come to a point and say, I've sinned. And the first important step when you want to come back to God is, okay, God, there are some things I've done that I know haven't been pleasing to you. It's just cool. Just tell God, hey, God, I messed up. Now, it's not like he's going, oh, gee, I didn't know that. He knows you messed up. He wants to make sure you know you messed up. Okay? So, so he wants to make sure that you, you tell him what you've done. God, I walked away from you. God, I didn't believe in you. God, I didn't trust you. Uh, God, I quit. God, I changed. God, I did this. Okay? So just tell God, hey, God, I know I did this. Okay? And the cool part is, there's not a lecture. Okay? Look what Nathan says. The Lord has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Okay, that's cool. So Nathan says, okay, that's cool. You confess it, that's great. God has forgiven you. You're not going to die. Good news. There's forgiveness. Say there's forgiveness. God is not a rock-chucking God to His children. He waits for His kids to come home. I don't suppose your mom or dad waited up late at night for you. You know, even when you didn't bust curfew, I mean, sometimes your mom and dad would wait up and say, just want to make sure you got home safe. God just wants to make sure you get home safe. That's what he wants. But, but I want to show you something that you just need to understand, okay? The Bible also says, however, there's that however. Verse 14, because of by this deed, by this, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. 
God says, you know, you confessed it and I've forgiven you, but there's still some consequences to deal with. God's forgiveness, unfortunately, doesn't negate the consequences of life. So you just need to know that. Just kind of follow that away somewhere. You know, when, when there's something, there's consequences. Those consequences are going to remain. That's just how it is. So what do you do? How do you avoid that? How, if, if you find yourself through the February 29th tornado coming back home to God, how do you stay here? <laughs> Mike, I used you a couple weeks ago. I told the story about, you know, when I said, will you be here in a year? And how years after that you kept telling, I'm still here, I'm still here, I'm still here. So how do you, how do you make sure that after three or four weeks, when the, as the storm fades in your memory, that you realize, you know what? Even though the, the, the storm damage is healing, I still need God. How do you make sure that you don't look at God from the bottom of the Grand Canyon, but he seems close like your shadow? Well, there are several things, okay? But you need to understand this, that God is holy and sin separates us from God. Okay, it's true before we're saved, before we're forgiven and come to relationship, but it's true also in fellowship. Now, guys, you know this. You know this. You forget your wife's birthday. Try to give her a kiss. Good night. There ain't no fellowship going to happen. Come on now. There ain't no fellowship going to happen. In fact, you can confess and repent, but the consequences are there ain't no fellowship happening. We know that. How can we make sure that we stay close? Well, the bottom line is, somewhere in the process of time, you're going to be tempted to sin. Okay? So help number one is, is that God wants to handle that for you. Okay? Now, on the sermon sheet is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I think this is one of our memory verses coming up. Okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here's what you need to know. Here's help. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. Now, let me break that down for you. Let me de-New King James that for you. Is that you're sitting there, and sometime in the process, you, you may have been in church all your life, you may have been in church every week, or this may be your first time back in a while. What's going to happen is, somewhere this week, you're going to be tempted to do something that isn't going to be pleasing to God. And sometimes, depending on what it is, the pull can be really strong. I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, minor... But sometimes it's a big one. Sometimes you just want to do it, even though you know it's wrong. It may violate your marriage vows. Uh, it may get you in jail if the IRS finds out. Okay? It may cause you to lose your job if the boss finds out. It may cost you more than, what is it, $125 now? If Brother Hobie decides to have fellowship with you on the side of the road. I like this fellowship thing. You know, there's consequences. I'm in a hurry. But here's what I want you to get. God's Word says you aren't going through anything that someone else hadn't already gone through. Yeah, see, see, hey, students, come on. Students, don't y'all say time, sometimes say, you don't know, you've never been through this. Well, God's Word says, uh-huh. Yeah, you're not going through anything. I mean, you may be the ugliest dude in the building. And for whatever reason, some, and you're married, and some good-looking chick decides to hit on you. And you go, that's never happened before. That feels pretty good. Stop! But Dwayne, it's never happened before. It's happened to somebody. So God's Word says, you're not going to run into anything, temptation-wise, that someone else has not already encountered. Second great thing 
God is faithful. Say God is faithful. God is faithful. He's going to be there for you. You don't have to overcome that temptation by yourself. He's going to give you the power. In fact, I love this. Watch. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. God says, there's no, I don't care how cute she is or how good the pie is or how much you need to speed and get there. God will give you the power to overcome. That's why you want God close. You don't want, again, when, when, when you're talking to in the dugout and get ready to bat, you don't want the coach up in the, in the newsroom. You want the coach whispering in your ear, he's going to pitch you this way and this is how you need to do it. That's why when it's a two-point game in the final, you know, the final four, okay? You don't want your coach going to the bathroom. You want your coach right there telling you what, how you're going to play out the final two minutes of the game. You want God close by. And God's going to give you the power, the wisdom to overcome. Now watch this. The God with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. Here's the cool thing. No matter what it is, God will give you an exit. God will give you an exit. All you've got to do is look for it. When Satan tempts you to do something that's going to drive a wedge between you and God, he will give you an exit. But you've got to look for it. Now, if you've ever, most of us didn't walk in this room today and go, okay, there's an exit there, and there's an exit there, and they say there's one, yeah, back over there, there's an exit. Most of us didn't do that. We walk in, we sit down, we shook hands, all that stuff. But what if you were in a crowded room one time, and there was a fire? Those people treat crowded rooms differently. When they walk into a crowded room, and they've been through a fire in a crowded room, they spot the exit. Have you ever been in a plane crash? You sit near the exit. Why? Because of experience that you want to know how to get out. We need to live our lives in such a way that we know how to get out. We need to be able to spot the exit. Now, again, this isn't God up there marking a toke on his belt going, there's one he didn't commit. God knows the awful, terrible power of consequences and sin. He loves you and wants to avoid that. Just like a good dad. He knows that sin will hurt your marriage, hurt your life, hurt your job. He says, I don't want you to go through that. So I'm going to give you an exit. But you need to look for it. That's help number one. Help number two is this. It's really cool. Did you know you said the words I was going to say? We're family. That's on my note sheet. We are family. Could you say we are family? We are family. Now, now what would have happened? What would happen if on February the 29th, we all woke up and there was a report that an F4 tornado had tore down through Largest Street across here, across Barnett, down by the FS, took out the Golden Center, Golden Circle, Golden Circle Center and the fireplace, jumped the street, walked over there, took out the First National Bank, took out the strip mall, the apartments and then Country Club Hills. And we all sat there and said, well, my house is all right. Didn't mess with me. Honey, let's go back to bed. It's awful early in the morning. Wouldn't that be a crime? Come on. Wouldn't that be a crime? I don't care where you live. Instantly, you felt empathy. You wanted to do something. People ran barefooted down the street to check on their neighbors. 
the natural response when someone is in trouble is help them. That's what the scripture says. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1, if someone is caught in a wrongdoing, if someone's in trouble spiritually, if someone is walking away from God, you who are spiritual now time out. That's a hard word. It sounds like holier than thou. But really, can I just say it this way? If a person's walking on glass, you with shoes pick them up. That's the spiritual. You who are on sure footing with God right at that moment, pick the person up. Help the person. You who are spiritual, restore such a one by throwing rocks at them. Restore such as one by telling them if they just come to church, this would have happened in their life. By telling them, God is angry with you. And that's why this has happened. Is that what it says? I think it says this. Restore such a one with a gentle spirit. A humble spirit. Watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. Because it could, just like it happened to them, it could happen to you. Carry, say carry. Carry one another's burdens. In this day, you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's help. When a person finds himself drifting away from God, the response is not to ignore them. The response is not to judge them. The response is not to pick up the rock pile and stone them. That went out in Leviticus. The response is to love them. To care for them. And to help them. Can I have an amen? amen. Yeah, I think this is pretty good stuff. But Brother Dwayne, you don't understand. And, and what don't I understand? Well, see, it's like this. We're told. Now, Jesus said this. You know Jesus, the Messiah? Yeah. Jesus said, judge not one another, lest you also be judged. I don't see judging in there anywhere. See, what, you know what Satan has done to the church of God? He has immobilized Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, by the fear that we're going to be counted as judgers. He has misinterpreted and misused the Scripture and planned in your heart that if you try to help a brother, that you might be accused of judging them. Friend, nothing could be further from the truth. If you see your pastor out doing something stupid, please stop me and say, Hey, pastor, you're being stupid. And I will be very grateful. Will it always be received well? I don't know. Probably not. But if you love people and you love God and you go with a a gentle spirit, I'm telling you, that's what family does. That's... What family does. So the second help is, is let's help one another. Let's try to keep each of us close to God. And we don't do it with rock chucking or judging. We do it by loving one another. Just like you've done through this storm. Just like we've ministered to people. All of us have. So that's how we do it in a spiritual crisis. In a spiritual storm. The third thing is this. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Now, I'll include this for one reason. Okay? 
And that is this. Now, I'm going to try to say this word. And I'm probably going to get it wrong. But there's a thing called the, the Fuji scale. Is that close? How many know what I'm even trying to say? Wonderful. It's the scale they use to judge a tornado. And it's created by this, this I was going to say an Italian guy, this Japanese guy who had a Fuji name. And there's a Fuji scale, and it goes from zero to five. Okay? Zero winds of about 70 miles an hour, F5 up to 300 miles an hour. Okay? The reason I put that in there is because on the scale of how they judge tornadoes, Sexual sins in F5. If what roared through Harrisburg on February 29th had been an F0, there had been a few shingles gone, maybe a tree blown over, that's it. But because of the ferocity of the storm, an F4, massive damage. The reason I put this in is, guys, listen. I said this wasn't a sermon about sexual sin, it's not. But guys and guyettes, this is a big one that a lot of people never recover from. If we choose to walk away from God like David and sin sexually, it's an F5. And the scars will be on your life forever. When I pre- you know, all of us are liars. We've all lied before. I mean, come on. But when I preach on lying, no one goes, oh. But I promise you, if there's ever been a sexual sin in your life, a big one, and every time I mention it, you still go, God, thank you for your forgiveness. But. So, hey, avoid that. Run. Run. Run from the F5 of sin. Because it's in a category all of its own. All right. Number four. Stay away from all kinds of evil. The bottom line is this. Sin separates us from the Father, so stay away from sin. Is that logical? If you want to stay close to the Father... When those storms come or during life, if we're going to stay here at home with Him, then we need to be careful that we do not sin. That we avoid all types of sin. Simple put. Sin separates from God. What do you do when you sin? You ask God to forgive you. And you turn from it. And you keep right on going. The last one's this. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them with your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for this is the source of life. The one thing I can tell you to do to make sure you and God stay tight is put these words in your heart. When we learn... And apply what's in this book. It radically changes our lives. When we take this book and burn it inside. When the temptation comes, it will speak to our heart. When catastrophes come, it speaks to our heart. When trouble comes, it speaks to our heart. It's so vitally important that we get this ingrained in our lives. Because can I be truthful with you? I don't know when the next storm's coming. I don't know when. I don't know when Ethan's going to swell up again. They're not sure if it was the amoxicillin. It may have been someone else. I'm not sure when the next phone call is going to come and say, Pastor, this is happening in our lives. I don't know. But I know this. 
The time to get ready is now. One of my friends, we were at Becca's and Jonathan's house Friday night, Judy, Friday afternoon. And uh, one of my friends here in the church, they're building a house. It does not have a basement. But you know what it does have? Two things. They're going to put these walls in that have two inches of styrofoam, six inches of concrete, and two inches of styrofoam. And those walls will go from floor to ceiling. And they will withstand 200 mile an hour winds. You know what else they're going to have in their house? Over as you go out the garage, there's a garage workshop. In the garage workshop, there's going to be what they're going to call a safe room. It too will have those six inch concrete walls and will have a concrete ceiling. Does anybody want to wonder why they're going to do that? Because of February 29th. That's why. They're preparing now for the tornado that might come later. Another one of my friends are thinking about building a house. They don't have a basement now. But there's one thing their new house is going to have. It may not have a refrigerator. It's going to have a basement. You want to know why? February 29th. They're preparing now for the storm that might come later. The same principles are true spiritually. We prepare now spiritually for the storms that will come later. And that way, we'll be like this old cross here. This is our anchor of hope. If we ever doubt that God loves us, if we ever doubt that God is good, this is our anchor. All we got to do is look back 2,100 years and we see this cross and what happened on it. And we understand that God loves us. That's our, it's our anchor. And our anchor in the coming days and weeks of our lives, when Satan tries to drive a wedge between God and us, our anchor is the cross and his word and our preparations we make now. I really don't, I don't want you to say I need to go to church Da, 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 for that reason. All I know is, is that here we talk about God and stuff. And sometimes we hear God and stuff and apply that God and stuff. It prepares us for whatever lies ahead. God does not, I promise you, He doesn't have a board in heaven that says, Brent Holloway, attendance, check. The reason God cares about if Brent is in church or not is because he's a youth pastor. No, just kidding. <laughs> because he, God knows that Brent's going to get some stuff here that will help you be a better parent. That will help him be a better husband. That will prepare him for when the doctor says, I've got some news for you that's not pleasant. Am I right, Brent? That's why. Church is not a magic pill. Even reading God's Word is not a magic pill. Reading applying God's Word is awesome. And we hope that when you come to church, it's something that you can take home and go... This is helping me. This is preparing me for what might come next. So that's it. That's it. David really did recover well. I mean, unfortunately, the consequences were terrible. Um, some things happened in his life. You, got, you ought to just go home and read Second Samuel because it's really incredible, the story, all that happened in David's life. Uh, really cool. but, but David spiritually recovered well. It's really cool because he, he wrote Psalm 51 where he just... 
poured his guts out to God about this sin. But then he also wrote uh, Psalm, I think it's 32 or 37, where it says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. He experienced the incredible grace of God. So it turned out all right. You know why? Because that's the kind of God we serve. Amen. Go ahead and bow your heads there. I, I really hope this is helpful. It's such a different tenor than what we preached the last couple of weeks. But I really hope this has been helpful today. Now, whether, whether you're back in church for the first time in a long time or you're here every single week, this stuff helps. This stuff works. It's helpful. God loves us so much. He wants to give the help that we need. But let me say this. I really spoke to believers today, and I really didn't reference the cross in the sense of salvation. See, before you can call God Father, you've got to be His child. And again, that does not happen by going to church. It doesn't happen by quitting or starting. It doesn't happen by habit stopped or habit started. It happens by believing that Jesus Christ is and was the Son of God. And that He died 2,100 years ago for our sins. It happens by putting faith in what Jesus did and God forgiving your sins. It's incredible. God's word says, for by grace you have been saved and through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. You're not looking at 300 people today who've got it all together. You're looking at 300 people who know we're sinners. Some forgiven, some not. This room contains sinners. But some of us have experienced the amazing forgiveness of God. And that's the greatest gift I could offer you today. That God would forgive you. And my brother Brent's going to be standing down front here in just a minute. And we will invite you to come down. It's called our decision time. But we invite you to just come down and say, Brent, I want to know this Jesus. I, I think it's incredible that God would walk with me. That God would count me as a friend. How can that happen? And we've got some friends who will share that with you. Now, if you're here today and... You're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've heard what I've got to say today, what God's Word said today. I think it's just a matter of applying. You've, you've, you've made some steps. Just keep doing those steps. If I can pray with you, or Brother Brent can pray with you, or some of these others, if you want to come down here, man, we'll just pray with you. Pray for strength and encouragement. If you're here today and the nightmares are still there, um, you still hear the tornado in your, in your dreams, if we could come and pray with you, we would love to do that. We really would. We really would. There really is power in the name of Jesus. Let us help you today any way that we can. Thanks, Father, for this time of sharing. Thank you that you love us so much. And for my friend here today, who's never come into relationship with you, may today be that day. Father, for my friends who may have kind of walked away, would you help them come back home? For those of us who, who today feel you pretty good, help us to stay here. We know Satan wants to drive a wedge between us and you. We're really aware of that. And we pray that we'll be prepared when that happens. So it won't happen. And Jesus, we pray this. In your most precious name, amen.